When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. of Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the music of Bob Dylan one song at a time. I am your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me this week to talk about Buckets of Rain, the final track from Bob's 1975 masterpiece, Butt on the Tracks, is the host of the Superman Batman podcast, among other podcasts. You know him, you love him, Michael Bradley. Michael, thank you for doing the show. Hey everybody, Rob, thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on. Uh, you mentioned uh, in the emails to me that you're a dabbler uh, of Bob Dylan. Now, what exactly does that mean? Oh, I, I am just far from an expert on Bob Dylan. Um, I really I, – I got into Bob Dylan kind of heavy back around uh, 2007 or so, and then I kind of fell away. My music tastes vary and drift from thing to thing, so I'll be real heavy into one artist and then or genre, and then you know six months later I'll be into something else. So it kind of goes through phases, but I got into uh, – you know, Bob Dylan and a friend of mine introduced me to the Traveling Wilburys who somehow, <laughs> It's always with the Traveling Wilburys. <laughs> yeah, somehow I got through like, you know, 20 years of my life without ever hearing of the Traveling Wilburys. Or, you know, I probably heard of them at some point, but actually realizing who they were. Right. Uh, and he introduced me to them. And, you know, so ever since then, it's just been kind of dabbling here and there. Now, this song in particular, uh, as I mentioned, Buckets of Rain, it's the final song on Blood on the Tracks. Uh, it is a. It's a very beautiful, very sweet, uh, but also, you know, very sad song, as you might imagine, from being on Blood on the Tracks. Uh, I mean, why did you pick this one? Why did you want to talk about this one in particular? It's just my favorite Bob Dylan song. I mean, it's... Wow. It, it's melancholy, but yet a little hopeful, and like you said, sad, and there's just... I, I feel so many emotions when I listen to it, which is rare, you know, to feel so much when listening to one song, and, and it kind of reminds me of... Things I've been through in my life, relationships I've had, or whatever, but uh, I, I just really enjoy the song. Yeah, it has a very Kesarasara kind of attitude, and, and coming as it does, which is again at the end of this extraordinary journey that he takes you on through the Blood on the Tracks album. Like I said, it's sad. It's a little hopeful. I mean, he's reaching out to this this person, presumably a woman. You know, he he talks about if you want me, honey, baby, I'll be here. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's he's there for her, but he's also very sort of cynical that it's ever gonna go anywhere and he and he, he talks about uh, I like the cool way you look at me everything about you is bringing me misery I mean it's a constant uh, duality the yin yang of the the exquisite you know wonderfulness of being in love and then the pain of that knowing that it's it can end or it has ended there's some very funny lines too I mean it's it's sung in a very straightforward way but i mean there's the line about little red wagon little red bike i ain't no monkey but i know what i like i mean he seems it through a lot of blood on the tracks he's very self-critical and that continues here in, in buckets of rain yeah it's almost like kind of the overall idea of the song is it's almost like he's accepted that there's a relationship that it's ended or he he, he realizes that there's a relationship that's ended but he's still clinging to that little bit of hope that it'll, it'll all work out in the end but yet you know the his his brain is still telling him that it's over. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there's some lines here about uh, about friends uh, where he talks about uh, I've seen pretty people disappear like smoke. Friends will arrive. Friends will disappear. 
uh, if you want me, honey baby, I'll be here. Mm-hmm. That seems to wind its way back to the very first song, which is Tangled Up in Blue, because he, he sings about uh, people in his life that have he doesn't know what where they where they are now. He talks about what jobs they're doing, and you know, I mean, this song clearly is you know again pretty straightforward. It's a relationship song, but I also feel like there is a touch of him talking to his audience, which I think is probably <clears throat> true in a lot of Dylan songs. But when he, when he speaks of his friends, he feels like these are people that he knew in the '60s that maybe aren't around anymore or are leading very dissolute lives. And then the the final uh, couplet is life is sad, life is a bust, all you can do is do what you must. You do what you must do and you do it well. I'll do it for you, honey baby, can't you tell? I feel like a little bit that's him talking to an audience. Uh, you know, this is what I do. This is what I do it well. I'm a, I'm a musician and I I'm doing this for you. Uh, I mean again, I don't really think that that's what it's about, but I can't help it. The introducing of the friends earlier on in the song and then the fact again that it seems to uh, dovetail quite nicely with how the album starts i I feel like there's a little bit of that in there too that he's he's giving himself a certain amount of himself to his audience which is a can be a painful relationship that you have with your audience you know i mean this is i mean he was where bob was in 1974 75 when he recorded this he was certainly sort of back on the map he had done planet waves which had been a big hit and he had done uh, knocking on heaven's door which was a massive hit but he was not the sort of giant figure that he was in the 60s and some, okay. of his, some of his audience had abandoned him. And I almost feel like that's him talking back to them a little, saying, you know, it's, it's, an, it's not an equal relationship necessarily uh, that you have with your, with your audience because they can leave you. You've seen pretty people disappear like smoke. You know, I mean, it's, these are people that love you and then they can turn on you if you do something they don't, uh, <laughs> that they don't like. Um, but again, I think mostly it is just him talking to this woman. And again, it's, it's after nine songs of, of intense feeling, some more than others, this has really got a nice, sweet kind of way, and you—I can't imagine the album really ending ending any other way. It's interesting the perspective of, of it being possibly to the audience, because and that's one of the things I kind of in, have enjoyed about the show so far is that I'm coming at these songs from, you know, like I said, a dabbler, but you're coming at them from someone who is is well versed in Dylan and his career and the the highs and lows, and you know where each each album or each song fits within the context of his career and you give it that history and that perspective and kind of makes me look at the songs in a new light. So that's interesting. It's very funny to me that, that Bob has never been terribly, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like precious about his songs because he went and recorded a duet with Bette Midler uh, mm, on, on, yeah. on an album she did called Songs for the New Depression uh, just l- less than a year later. And they oh, make it came that soon, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. This, this album, her album, came out in 1976, and Blood on the Tracks in 75. And if you've ever heard it, it's, I have. it's yeah, <laughs> they're they're clearly at least a couple sheets to the wind. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's not at all done seriously. And so, when you would think, God, this is a you know, it seems like all the songs that he wrote for Blood on the Tracks were ripped from his soul, and here he is goofing around with Bette Midler less than a year <laughs> later on the very same song. So yeah. he obviously wasn't taking anything too terribly seriously. Another interesting thing about this song, and maybe you were going to get get into this, is according to his website, he's only performed this live one time. I was going to mention that. It's, okay, it's astonishing that uh, he has played this song live. Once, <laughs> and the man has been doing concerts for fifty years, and this song has been available to him for thirty-five years, and he's played it one time, November eighteenth, nineteen ninety, and that's it. And I can only imagine—I've never heard it. I, I mean, there would have to be a bootleg of of that concert. In preparation for the show, I tracked it down, and it's—did you it's, really? 
Yeah, I, I found it online somewhere. Like a, it was like an MP4 file. You know, like people upload videos to YouTube, right. but they aren't really videos. Right. Uh, but I found it on some kind of probably sketchy uh, video site. But <laughs> anyway, it's it's really up tempo, and some of the lyrics are a little bit different, but it's you know the same basic lyrics. Amazing! I can only imagine what the audience's reaction was. They're like, "What am I listening to? What is this?" Because you're so not expecting that song. That's yeah. amazing. That's... And he, he opens the show with it too. It's the first. Really? Yeah. That's bewildering. That's <laughs> that's utterly bewildering. Wow. He must have really been feeling uh, loose that night to just be like, "Hey guys, let's do buckets of rain," and then, "Nah, I'm not going to do that again forever." Oh, yeah. Now I really want to hear it. That's 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 sounds very fascinating to me. Yeah, like I said, it's um. His guitar playing style, it's like a very kind of finger-picking kind of style. I don't know anything about music, but, I mean, it's its a very – it's got a warmth to it. And, it, yeah, it's a very, very pretty song. And, like I said, it's its on the cassette version of Blood on the Tracks, which I used to own. They flip it because of something about the length. So the Buckets of Rain used to end on side one, and You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome with a Go used to end side two. And I used to think nope. that that's how the album sounded. And then I bought it on CD, and I went, "Wait a minute! This is th- these songs are wrong." And then I realized, "No, of course, this is the way it was supposed to end." Which is, you know, I can't imagine yeah. what Bob thought about that because those songs are very particularly chosen. But uh, was, was this was "Blood on the Tracks" first released on vinyl, or it was right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So when they put it on vinyl, it was done in the order that it was meant to be right. done, and then cassette they mangle it and and mess. I'm, I'm sure Bob didn't even know because he didn't pay attention <laughs> to those things. But yeah, I mean, it's for an album as as grand as "Blood on the Tracks," it's hard to find something that you could imagine that could end it properly. But this is really the way to go. And I said it is a really, really very beautiful song. Yeah, and it's it's very as you talked about in some of your episodes, it's very kind of complex in its simplicity too. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. The, the the lines are very simple. He said we mentioned a lot of these things are the the little red bag, little red wagon, little red bike, and they ain't no monkey. And I mean, I've been meek and hard like an oak. I mean, it's, it's very simple rhyme schemes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess was even compared to some of the other things on the album. This is very simple, but yet it it really sort of gets under your skin. And like I said, I never tire of hearing it. I don't I don't tire of hearing anything on Bun on the Tracks. But yeah. But this is always just very beautiful, and it is. It's just so sort of sweetly sad. That uh, mm-hmm. it really does stick with you long after you've eh, that last chord, the, the, the little pling, and it's, you know, and it fades. I'm, I'm butchering it as I'm trying to talk about, it, but as as the album fades out, it really just gives you that moment of just sort of quiet reflection of going yeah. back and listening to everything you've heard. I don't know. Is that it? Do we have anything else we want to say about buckets? Or I I think that's it. Well, uh, Michael, where can people find you on the internet if they would like to? Um, well, I am not really doing any podcasts at the moment. Uh, they're all kind of on the back burner slash hiatus because of my work schedule and some other factors. But uh, if you just want to check out greatcrypton.com, then that's where I post updates whenever I uh, have a solo episode out or I'm on you know guest hosting like I am on here. So just check that out and you'll get everything you need to know about me. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, as always, if you want to follow the show, you can go to Twitter. It's pod underscore Dylan. And if you want to leave a comment, you can go to the fireandwaterpodcast.com page and leave a note either on the individual show threads or on the Contact Us page. And uh, please, if you can, please uh, go ahead and leave us an iTunes review. We really would appreciate that. So I don't know why we say we. It's just me. It's just me doing the show. <laughs> I, there's something natural about the way you say we. Uh, but anyway, Michael, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Life is sad, life is a bust. All you can do is do what you must. You do what you must do, and you do it well. 
do it for you, honey, baby, can you tell? Before signing off on this episode, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of things. First of all, uh, the day I'm recording this segment is uh, Bob Dylan's 75th birthday. And uh, it's very heartened to see that it's been celebrated all around the internet and stuff. Bob turned 75, which is a remarkable thing uh, in great many ways. uh, I think a lot of people assumed he would never make it to 75, but uh, uh, thankfully he's still with us. And uh, seems to be enjoying his life quite thoroughly. And... and, uh, I'm very, very glad to see that. Uh, uh, He deserves it. Um, So happy birthday, Bob. Uh, And the other thing I needed to mention, of course, is since the recording the last episode, he has put out a new album, and that is Fallen Angels, which came out May 20th. It is another all-covers album. Uh, It's sort of a follow-up to Shadows in the Night from last year. Uh, Shadows in the Night was almost exclusively sort of a Sinatra covers album in terms of it was all songs that, that Sinatra was famous for. This one seems to branch out a little more from from that i I, i've read conflicting reports that these songs are recorded around the same time and then i read that they weren't so who knows as always with with dylan things remain a mystery even when they just take place you know a year ago or something like that i maybe will do another episode with a guest talking about this album in full at some point but but before that i just wanted to get a couple of brief thoughts across this as i mentioned this album is another covers album it's uh, 12 songs some of them very, very famous, Young at Heart, That Old Black Magic, Come Rain or Come Shine, It Had to Be You. I mean, real standards kind of stuff. And I will admit, uh, when I heard that he was going to do a second covers album uh, similar to Shadows in the Night, it wasn't the greatest news I ever heard. I mean, I'm always happy that Bob's putting out an album, period. But uh, the Shadows in the Night was probably my least favorite thing he's done uh, in the last 25 years, like since I started buying his albums new. It just didn't register that much with me. I kind of felt like the tone uh, on Shadows in the Night, everything was sort of same, same. And it just, after I listened to it a couple of times, I sort of put it on the shelf and I haven't really bothered to pull it out since. So I went in, I went into Fallen Angels a little like, oh, okay. But uh, after the after the first listen, and then the second listen, and then the third listen, I actually like this one uh, considerably more than Shadows in the Night. The material's a little peppier. I think the playing is a little more interesting. I mean, you'll have to forgive me. I, As I mentioned on the show before, I don't know anything about music uh, in terms of, like, you know, how it's written or how it's performed, so I'm just flying blind here. But it feels like the band is a little more involved in this one. Uh, in particular, uh, track eight, which is a song called On a Little Street in Singapore, uh, it opens with a really wonderful kind of guitar riff, which everyone seems to be crediting to uh, Donnie Heron, 
a longtime member of Bob's band. And it's 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 really terrific. Uh, the song itself is barely two minutes long. I wish it had been longer. Uh, but there are a couple of interesting things here uh, that I really did enjoy. And more than anything else, I was trying to think, you know, what is Bob trying to convey? I mean, he's trying to communicate something to his fans by putting this album out. Because Lord knows he doesn't have to. Uh, I'm sure that Columbia Records slash Sony Music, whatever they call themselves nowadays, uh, would be more than happy to have an album of all originals as opposed to, you know, him covering songs from 60, 70 years ago. But, you know, Bob follows his muse wherever it will take him. And uh, some people have questioned that, or actually a lot of people have questioned that. But I think we can all see that it has worked out pretty well for him to this point. And, and that's one of the things I like about him. He doesn't really worry about anybody else's preconceived notions of what he can or can't do. He just follows that muse. And his singing here is really quite beautiful. I mean, you know, he's not, again, not known for a great voice, but it's very expressive, and he does convey certain things with these songs that he probably could not have done when he was in his 20s, because a lot of these songs are sort of like, you know, from the from the vantage point of an older person who's seen a lot of life and is a little weary and, and, and has some other experiences that you probably just don't have when you're in your, your 20s. So I, I did. I liked, I liked it uh, quite a bit. Uh, actually, and now that I've listened to it, I said three or four times, I kind of want to listen to it again. Unlike his songs of all originals, I don't see myself kind of like mix and matching this. I think like like a lot of you, you take music that you like and you put it into your iTunes playlist and then you make a big collage sort of of all the different songs. And I do that with Dylan. The minute he puts out a new album, I graft those songs into my giant Bob playlist of like a thousand songs and you know all then all his stuff from Tempest gets mixed in with all the other albums. I don't see myself doing this too much with these two cover albums because they seem to work better as a complete unit. I feel like they're meant to be listened to from beginning to end the way you would watch a movie or read a book. And, you know, it could be that's part Bob's intention. If you look at the graphic design for these last two records, actually the last couple of records, they're conspicuously old-timey uh, in terms of how they look and what they say on the CD. They mentioned like Vitaphone recordings and things like that. And I think that Bob may not be interested in providing anyone with, you know, the ability to pull out their favorite songs and mix them in. He may want you to listen to something from beginning to end. And of course, you know, that's his choice. He's making an artistic statement and that's what he wants to do. One other thing I wanted to mention that I thought was funny is that I read read a small article about this album when apparently a couple of months ago or maybe a little longer than that uh, Bob apparently uh, met with Daniel Lanois who was the producer of Time Out of Mind and Oh Mercy and he said to Daniel something to the effect of I want to talk to you about my childhood which is sort of like a funny thing to you know Bob just showing up at your house I want to talk about my childhood but he apparently talked to Lanois a bit about what it was like to listen to those old-timey records, like the Frank Sinatra records, Bing Crosby records, stuff that he's always been a fan of. And then he played for Lanois these songs, uh, which is like, that's got to be such an extraordinary experience to have Bob Dylan in your house previewing his new album for you. But, uh, you know, when you're Daniel Lanois, I guess you're used to things like that. But uh, this is Bob, you know, talking about his childhood, you know, and this is clearly something that's important to him. One thing that I read in an article that that cracked me up was apparently Dylan specifically mentioned the fact that a lot of the records he grew up with did not feature photos of the musician. So you had no idea what these people looked like. And sure enough, in this particular record, there are no photos of Bob. Uh, (laughs) That isn't the most unusual thing. A couple of his records in the last 15 years or so have not 
not featured photos, but um, Shadows in the Night certainly did, and Love and Theft did, Tempest did. So it's sort of funny that uh, you know he was lamenting the fact he didn't get to see the artists, and now of course he's not showing himself. And I'm kind of sorry for that because one of the things I do love about New Dylan Records is seeing contemporary photos of Bob. He he always has kind of a very off-center sense of humor about how he chooses to be photographed. And in Shadows of the Night, there's a great photo of him on the back cover sleeve having dinner with a very uh, pneumatic woman, let's say, in a domino mask, and they're, like, looking at old records. Like, I just love those photos. So I wish he had included something like that in Fallen Angels, but, I, you know, I'll have to wait for the next album. And speaking of uh, a next album, I can't help but think about that this is the second covers record in a row, and that is something uh, similar to what he did in 1992 and 1993 when he released Good As I've Been To You and World Gone Wrong, which were his two all-acoustic folk cover albums. And at the time, a lot of critics thought, well, this is it. He's done. He has no more left to say. And now he's just recording old folk songs. And I think those two albums are extraordinary. Uh, I think World Gone Wrong is a little better than Good As I've Been To You, but they're both great. And... So uh, my attitude even back then, back in 92, was like, if this is what Bob's going to do the rest of his career, that's fine with me. These are terrific. And of course, those two albums now, in retrospect, you kind of see that they were, guess, clearing the decks a little for what he had prepared coming down the line. Because not too long after that, he put out Time Out of Mind, which is one of the best things he's ever done, and followed it up with Love and Theft, and then Modern Times, and then Together Through Life, and then Tempest. So, you know, he did those two full cover albums, and then he followed it up with five extraordinary albums of all new material. So could that be what's happening here? Could it be that, um, you know, he's doing these two covers albums, and then he's going to go back to, to recording new stuff? Who knows? None of us ever know with Bob, of course. And uh, even if that isn't the case, uh, even if he does decide that he's just going to record covers albums for the rest of his career, that's fine. Uh, Bob doesn't owe anybody anything. He has been uh, so extraordinarily generous to us, his fans, over the years, and he has earned the right to do whatever he wants. Uh, I mean, he could really be coasting on his legend. He could have been doing that for decades, and he's not. He's still out there, still trying new things. And even if you maybe squint your eyes a little at Bob Dylan singing Young at Heart, you know, I feel like I just can't criticize it too much, or I don't want to criticize it, because, again, he's trying to convey something through his music, and that's ultimately what uh, what we're all here for. So, Bob, nice job on Fallen Angels. I'm very happy to have it, and, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what's coming next. So uh, that's it, my quick little review for Fallen Angels. If any of you have bought the album and you have some thoughts you want to share, please uh, share them with us over at the Twitter feed, which is pod at underscore Dylan, or you can contact the show using the uh, fireandwaterpodcast.com site. And then one last thing I do want to mention, which I thought was very, very funny, is a couple days ago we got some traffic reports for the Fire and Water Podcast website. And, of course, we keep track of all that stuff. And a couple days ago, we hit uh, an all-time record of how many uh, downloads and visits or something. I don't know. I have to talk to Shag about that. I understand this stuff. Uh, anyway, we hit a record for the number of visits we had in a day to the site. And the number one show, the one that drove the most visits, was Pod Dylan, <laughs> oddly enough. Uh, so even though the show doesn't get a lot of feedback, I guess there are a lot of you who are listening and you're just not writing in, which is perfectly fine, you know perfectly fine being being just a long-time listeners not first-time callers but uh that made me feel really good that the the show you know has an audience out there and even though again it's the odd man out on the network uh, i'm glad to know so many people are enjoying it so uh that's going to do it thanks again to michael bradley for coming on to talk about buckets of rain and uh, i implore all of you to go out and, and pick up fallen angels uh there's some really interesting stuff on there so again the occasion of a bob dylan album is always something worth celebrating so bob happy birthday thanks for all the gifts 
Have a good day, Mr. Frank.